Hello everyone and welcome back to Punks on the Pitch podcast, the show where the beautiful game meets discussing brutal music. Um, we obviously had the FA Cup weekend just gone, but we're back to normal scheduled programming where I like to welcome a guest onto the show and talk about their love of the beautiful game. And I'm honoured to welcome Cancerbat Shredder and Arsenal fan Scott Middleton onto the show. Scott, thank you very much for, for joining me. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be um, on this. How, like, obviously, like, everyone knows Cancerbats as one of the hardest working bands in sort of punk rock music and stuff. And obviously, we'll get on to kind of the acoustic stuff in a minute. But, like, how's the lockdown kind of been for you guys? Has it been, like, incredibly frustrating or have you just kind of had to deal with it? Well, it, so it's come at sort of um, an interesting time and a, a changing time in our band. Um, so about a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago now, um, I, I had my first uh, child. And, right, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I've got a little boy named Ivan. My wife and I welcome to the world. And so for the first time in 15 years, I took some time off from the band um, touring to uh, focus on being a dad. And um, right, okay. our drummer, Mike, uh, he has two kids as well. And he had done something similar where we had a fill-in drummer. And so um, we arranged it so that uh, Wade McNeil from Alexis on Fire would fill in for me on a few tours um, at the... Uh, basically at the end of uh, 2019. And so, yeah, so that was basically the first time I ever missed any shows, but for good reason, obviously. And, yeah. um, and so that was like, you know, like a, a big break, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, doing anything with the band for a while. And then at the beginning of 2020, um, at the end of January, we did some shows uh, with uh, Hot Water Music, who were doing yeah. like, um, they were doing a 25th anniversary of, uh, one of their records i can't remember but anyways it was uh it was a lot of fun and you know like guys in my band really looked up to them especially and uh and so like we got to play these really rad shows like two in toronto two in montreal and it, like that was like a really cool comeback for me and then literally like a month later <laughs> yeah. we're all locked down you know and it's it was like oh no like <laughs> i just i just took all this time off and then it, it was just like oh like we're about to get going again and then all of a sudden like you know, all our tours for the whole year are canceled and, and everything was, uh, you know, thrown into chaos as it has been for everyone. But, um, yeah, like we, you know, I think along with everyone else thought, Oh, Hey, this will probably just last a couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so the other side of that is like, once everyone sort of realized this is going to be like a, a longer lockdown than initially, you know, thought, um, you know, uh, of course we started seeing other bands doing things like live streaming gigs and stuff like that uh which i think is really cool but unfortunately with cancer bats we've all moved across the country from one another right and, yeah, yeah and so we're not able to get in the same room at all <laughs> um, yeah, yeah jay and i uh we both sort of live around the toronto area just opposite ends but even still you, you know we're not getting together to be able to do stuff unfortunately and uh, yeah so um yeah, so I think kind of along with the rest of the music world, we're trying to think of like ways to create content and and uh, you know still engage with our fans um, when we're not able to do it, you know, like we would classically. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, so we started off just kind of 
uh, celebrating the the 10-year anniversary of our third record, Bears, Mares, Scraps, and Bones. We did like a, yeah. like a vinyl re-release of that. And, um, and so we started doing, you know, just online playthroughs of some of our songs. And we were trying to figure out how, like, how to piece like videos together with, you know, crude audio and just, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's, it's this thing, you know, just obviously we, you know, we don't have fancy video equipment and stuff, but um, I'm fortunate I have a recording studio so I could sort of mix some of this, these ideas together. And then um, basically about, I guess it would have been like 10, 12 years ago, um, just after Hail Destroyer came out, we did, we did this one-off uh, television performance in Canada where they asked us to do two of our songs acoustic and we just did it sort of for a laugh, but it came out, yeah, cool. yeah. it came out kind of cool. So then uh, when we were talking about ideas for online content, um, we started, we started thinking, Hey, well, why don't we try some of this acoustic stuff again? Or like, you know, we did a version of Lucifer's rocking chair that came out kind of cool. And then sort of, I filmed the video of myself doing it. And then like Liam sang uh, in his truck and filmed him, Filmed himself driving around town while he did it. We sort <laughs> yeah. of we just edited it together and, came, and people were like, "Wow, that's so cool!" Like a lot of people had never heard the original thing we'd have we'd done, and then so it sort of brought us to the idea of, well, you know, we can make this sound better if we all just actually record it. And you know, so like I, again, I've got a recording studio, but some of the other guys have a some gear at home or friends that also have studios, yeah, like nearby in their neighborhoods. So um, we were able to piece together and and a, sort of an acoustic inspired ep it ended up becoming more than just a stripped down acoustic thing uh, if you've heard it it's a bit more psychedelic and, and yeah and yeah bluesy and a little bit i was gonna i was just gonna say and, it's yeah. got a like a real bluesy kind of element yeah to it. i think it was just us having fun you know really just um you know messing around with different stuff like you know jay played mostly acoustic guitar on the uh, sorry electric guitar on the record um i played all the bass and, and the acoustic stuff most of it and uh you know, and, and Mike got to do some cool percussion and Liam singing differently than he would and was changing a lot of the vocal melodies and, you know, Jay's coming in and harmonizing with him and we had a, a friend come in and guest on a song and um, I, I played some organ on a track, like, you know, just, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those things, it's kind of like, uh, you know, they, they use that term like silly season in football, right? And yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's this is sort of the silly season of our lives. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, it, it kind of seemed fitting to like make just sort of like uh, an experimental record in that regard, just try some stuff that, you know, I mean, we're all big music fans. We love all kinds of stuff. And we, you know, as musicians, you know, playing around with all these different elements doesn't feel that weird because at the end of the day, it's still making music. Um, mm. I think like going back and reinventing uh some of our classic songs has been like an easier thing to kind of get into the groove of how we're going to figure out to like uh you know work together but separately yeah yeah because it's you're in the scenario where uh i find like at least with our band we're kind of at our most creative when we're all together in the same room yeah, writing cool. and shooting back ideas and feeding off the like inspiration of the energy of one of the other members and it's really hard to do that you know through video and uh and you know with with lag and in latency and all that stuff so um i think focusing on songs we already knew uh was kind of easiest and just kind of fun it, it just sort mm. of it made it when we had the idea of like coming up and doing like a record specifically for charity um the, 
it was it was kind of that idea of like, well, what, what can we do? What's gonna what's gonna be the most fun? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be about new music. Let's let's just keep going with this idea because we're getting a lot of really good feedback from the from the fans when we were doing just the like Instagram videos and stuff. And, yeah, um, I think uh, yeah, it just kind of it, it just kind of was this natural thing that happened. Um, and, and in the end, I, th I you know the the trickier part was that because everybody recorded separately, you know, typically we might work with a producer or like produce it ourselves, but that's, yeah, yeah. that separate thing sort of led to like certain elements getting sent like my way. Cause I'm mixing it all um, where, you know, maybe like the way a certain song was performed on drums, wasn't naturally uh, complementary to something that maybe Jay did on guitar or that I had done. Um, or the way Liam kind of sang the thing. So then I would have to manipulate the sounds so that they <laughs> yeah. would go into something a bit more cohesive. Because it's all recorded with, you know, like varying levels of like very basic amateur recording gear yeah, to, yeah. to, you know, like to like higher quality stuff, like it, like, like at my studio or whatever. And, and so the, the tones were all over the place. So I really had to um, figure out with the band what, you know, we were going to do because like, you know, I, I mix some stuff together and just like quickly and we listen to it and we're like, ah, you know what, this maybe sounds a little bit too like modern, modern like country rock or something <laughs> yeah. because, you know, just putting it together, it's all, <coughs> it's all bright and everything. We're like, yeah, this isn't like, we don't want this to sound like, you know, like Nickelback's photograph or something, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I think like Mikey brought up and, and, I, and I was like, yeah, well, that's a good point. Like that, I mean, you know, it's it could work that way if we wanted it to but i think in our hearts we're like ah you know like a lot of the more like acoustic stuff we love is like older music and you know and inspired by um more lo-fi recordings and and stuff like that so purposely i'm trying to like run stuff through like tape machines and saturation things that that's make, cool make things darker and more interesting and um and like i said yeah going in in, in the mixing process i'm i'm able to you know manipulate the sounds and completely transform them so that they make more sense together with all our different ideas yeah um, yeah and it was cool it was funny you know there was like sometimes there was like a lot of like revisions going back and forth to find the right one um but in the end i think you know i think it came out cool it's like a very different vibe and all honestly we've heard nothing but positivity and and that's like a really cool thing and, and at, at the end of the day um i'm just glad that uh you know while we're sitting at home we're able to do something that's like, you know, maybe like giving somebody a better day. Cause you know, th they love music and it puts positivity in their lives. And then also, again, we were, we did the, the EP, like if you bought it on Bandcamp, all the, all the proceeds go to this um, charity in Canada called water first, which helps mm. um, our indigenous people who live on uh, reservations. Uh, it helps them have access to clean water. And, and this is like yeah. a, a big problem that a lot of people don't know about is that, uh, the first nations people in canada they for no real good reason they they have poor uh water supply and it's it's toxic and it's it's causing a lot of health issues and you know we, we kind of really believe obviously that you know something like water should be a human right and clean water especially definitely yeah yeah and uh you know and, and it's especially sad in a, in a first world country like like canada that you know they don't have easy access to that and so water first helps provide um uh you know uh, facilities for them to be able to either treat water or have access to 
clean water and mm. um, you know and, th and that's something that's important to us and, and you know I, of course it it uh hopefully just opens people's eyes to the, you know these kinds of problems and um you know our government's been promising to fix these things for a while but it never seems to get done you know <laughs> yeah. and uh and and that and that's kind of our other other thing is that you know in in light of the pandemic um you know having access to something like this is even more important because oh definitely because yeah, yeah. the world's attention is focused elsewhere you know we don't want you know this kind of uh essential <laughs> uh right to be ignored um you know by the rest of the country so we're trying to just mm. give it give it to where you know we uh to a cause we really believe in yeah yeah and because obviously like you guys have got quite an extensive back catalog to yeah. sort of like pull from is there kind of like ideas that this could be something that rolls on and carries on or is well, it sort yeah of kind of like i mean a one you know we, we, we named it volume one i guess with kind of that that sort of like open-ended, uh, you know, possibility. I, I think that's something we're gonna gonna look into. Is like, what other songs could we transform? You know, especially because I think going through it originally, we were trying to keep, you know, uh, keep it to the songs that were most naturally uh, conducive to translating into an acoustic yeah, yeah. vibe. But if we let that idea go, that it has to have the same structure or the same um, uh, starting point, uh, I think it allow it opens up the creative possibilities. And I, I think that's the thing, like moving forward, like when we do other songs, like if I just play our song Hail Destroyer on acoustic guitar, I, it might sound all right, but it's, you know what I mean? <laughs> Trying to play heavy riffs on acoustic sometimes sound a bit goofy or a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah. So I might, I might take it from a completely different perspective and, you know, and, and rework the song as in something it might not be immediately recognizable but maybe when the lyrics hit um you know you could really get into it and then bring back some of the musical themes and um, yeah. i don't know i think it's just it it it's just fun it's just creative fun yeah. really. and and being able to do something like this is like it's definitely really nice um you know uh and, and hopefully it 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 sparks more creativity going into the next record that we can make you know yeah and, or or it gets all the goofy bits out of our system and we just make the heaviest record ever you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but i mean one way or the other it's uh it's nice to still be able to uh you know be musically active with with my band um even yeah though i can't see them um, yeah yeah you know? and uh yeah but and obviously you mentioned so at the top of the you were kind of sort of take time off to spend time with your son so i guess yeah. in some aspects the pandemic's kind of been good for that in a yeah, way oh, or... yeah i mean it's that's the thing you know it, it's funny to see uh, a lot of positivity from something like this and that's been the number one thing in my life because uh, nor i probably would have missed a large portion of 2020 um you know still promoting our our previous record um and and having missed a couple of my son's milestones as a result, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's, this isn't about, uh, you know, like parents who are touring musicians exclusively. Like this is the same thing that goes on with people who are pilots who are oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, in the military, people who are, uh, you know, dr drive transport trucks and, and this kind of thing. And it's, it's really like, um, you know, the, it's the necessity of providing for your family. You're going out. This is, this is my job being in a band. Um, and so I was able to, you know, thankfully not miss out on those things. I saw his first steps, his first words, you know, all, all that stuff and being there, it's like, 
I wouldn't trade that for anything. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad. And it, it, I think, it, you know, at the same time too, like being in a band for so long, I think all of us are sort of like, Hey, you know what? Like taking a bit of a break from like intensely doing this isn't a bad thing either. It's, it's healthy. Mm. And it, it, it lets us stay, I think, you know, hungry and excited about doing what we do so that it's not just, I don't know, perhaps monotony. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, like when you're living out of a suitcase every day and, you're, you're missing your family back home. It's like, you know, just FaceTiming or talking on the phone isn't the same connection you want. I mean, it's, oh, of course. And, yeah, and this yeah. is, and, and that's it. Like, I mean, this conversation is literally currently about, you know, us and the band missing uh, playing in a room with each other, you know, well, yeah. And, and well, you know, it's previous to that, it's me missing my family and my friends, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, but just being there for my son, it's awesome. You know, like, it, yeah. and, and it's, it's really cool to, uh, you know, spend time with my wife and, and, and help raise him and, and watch him grow every day. It's, it's amazing. And, mm. um, you know, luckily, uh, for, for myself, uh, you know, I had already been invested in a, um, a career producing music on the side from touring yeah. the band. Um, so it's something that, uh, like about a year ago, just after we had our son, I moved closer to my recording studio. Um, so it's just, literally five minutes from my house just down the road oh, awesome. I, I live on the same street and that's uh, cool yeah it's cool so so basically um i was able to go and keep earning a living um trying to do other stuff and of course like i couldn't always have people at the studio depending on the state of the lockdown where we were um but that's when i started focusing on things like doing mastering for bands and mixing yeah um things that you know other people could send me music and i can send it back and earn a living that way and it's uh um, yeah it's, it's been amazing actually like really like uh i've met so many cool bands as a result and discovered a lot of new music and i think it keeps my my mind uh you know a little bit more sane because the music <laughs> yeah. music has always been the primary like creative passion of my life and in my career so uh it's an easy pivot for me you know yes yeah. i'm using the same brain i'm just using like you know, uh, my creative experience to help other musicians and, you know, help them mm. improve their careers and stuff and, and, and the quality of their music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get on to the main crux of what, what I've asked you on here for, I always kind of find like you mentioned obviously being introduced to new music. So what kind of stuff have you been listening to recently? Well, like, I mean, there, there, you want to give a shout out? yeah, I mean, there's loads uh, of, uh, UK bands that I think are awesome. Um, yeah, specifically, I'll, I'll talk about four. So there's a, a band from Manchester called uh, Incisions that are an awesome yeah. hardcore punk band. Um, and uh, I mastered a bunch of singles for them um, over the last couple of years. I, I met those guys at the Boomtown Festival. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was pretty cool and crazy. And just uh, anyways, ha had a good time hanging out. And, um, and I've been working on some of their music, which has been cool. And then... Um, from uh, I guess sort of Sheffield, Yorkshire, Huddersfield. There's um, sort of a shoegazy uh, black metal band called uh, Hidden Mothers. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know Liam. Okay, yeah. So yeah, Liam's yeah, yeah, a good yeah. friend of mine. Yeah, and so uh, I, I, uh, I've known him for years. He's always come to Cancer Bats gigs, and we've played with his other bands and stuff. And um, I got excited when I heard he was doing something new and different. And and so yeah. Um, mastered their record too and then sort of kind of through them i, I found this um amazing band from bristol called sugar horse um oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah which uh, for me i i like it because they have a lot of you know really heavy elements like neurosis but then they 
kind of go back to this like sort of 80s thing that kind of also um you know gives way to stuff like um like mogwai and godspeed you black yeah, emperor yeah. it's very epic and cinematic sounding and um and so i get to go really crazy on their records they're always uh encouraging me to like if i'm you know whereas mastering i might just be like tweaking the sound whereas they're like no get more involved add more noise add more <laughs> yeah. layers of chaos and and make make the loudest parts like so crazy loud that it blows up the speakers and then the quiet parts like <laughs> whisper quiet so you have to turn up the volume and it, it's it's really a lot of fun um another band from bristol is uh is a punk band called brasher um okay some friends of ours and uh yeah i just worked on a record of theirs too and um i, I don't know it's really exciting for me i mean uk has always been great for music but um you know uh, uh quite a few of them are my friends now and, I, and it's really great to see them like doing so well um you know in uh, on the canadian side there's there's loads of good good bands too i'm working with a, a band from toronto called napoleon um who are a bit more sort of like uh like alternative rock um a very different thing and, and another band called champion lover who um are definitely a bit more of a, a grunge kind of thing sort of fuzzy mm. grunge punk and um uh, and they're all really big city city supporters so we, oh, okay. always, we always get into it about football we have like a, a really good <laughs> chat going all the time and you know we, we basically make fun of like united and chelsea together and it's, it's good. <laughs> nice yeah yeah well as we as, as a nice sort of segue then so when i kind of asked you to come on obviously a lot of people when i started this podcast had pointed you you as someone that i should get on oh cool um so i have to ask how does a canadian fall in love with with arsenal um well i mean i think it's sort of kind of time and places to like when i fell in love with football um you know i grew up uh canada like all we care about is hockey and uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, a, and a little bit of baseball um and uh and so football really wasn't on my radar all that much it was like you know of course we call it soccer and when i when i was six um i joined uh some sort of you know local community soccer team and um I was shit. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, whatever. I'm six years old. I don't care. You know, I'm just like having fun running around. But I really wanted to be keeper, um, right? Okay. And because it was the one position I felt like I did well at. But of course, the the like the team coach's son was uh, also on the team, and uh, he of course let him be keeper. Right. And so okay. I never, I never got a chance. And I mean, of course, I was a little bit shorter, so maybe he thought I was not a good fit but i felt like it was the one position i really understood and i was yeah, yeah disappointed yeah. so my playing career just tanked after that um and so i sort of didn't really like the sport for a long time and then um when i was in high school i had a lot of friends who um were uh sort of of italian or portuguese descent and okay and so football was everything to them because yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. their parents loved and and focused on and um and so every time World Cup would come around, it was like a big deal. And I never, I didn't really understand it that much until about um, around 98, um, when it was in France and France won. That was a, that was the one where I just, I don't know, I was sitting at home in that summer. I remember I just put it on and I was just started watching some matches. And I, and I just got, I was like, wow, I've never watched an actual, an actual match before, like really sat. And then, so I started understanding 
the game and the complexities of it. And, you know, at first you're trying to understand the offside rule and, you know, <laughs> those basic <laughs> things. Right. And um, cause it's quite different than, than it is in hockey. And, uh, but I don't know, I, I just got kind of amazed at sort of the athleticism of, you know, the players and the, and the, you know, the strategy and the formations and things like that. And um, I think it was like uh, a really big upset that year that France was able to beat Brazil in the final. And that was sort mm. of like really exciting. And then I, I really have distinct memories of um, how Croatia did really well that year um, with uh, their striker Davor Šuker. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he won the Golden Boot that year, and I, I remember it, it. I was just like, I was really impressed by him and his playing, and, um, and they were and the sort of the big narrative was like, well, Croatia's only been a country for seven years at the time. Like, this is huge for them. This is, you know, like former Yugoslavia and this, you know, sort of all the turmoil that had come out of the Balkans and stuff. That, like, it was you know, this big achievement and there was this kind of exciting st underdog story about it that, you know, that they would come in third place or something and he would win the golden boot. It was kind of an upset and, on that side too. And I was like kind of rooting for underdogs and things. And, and so uh, of course he would go on to play for Arsenal later too. Yeah. Um, and then of course, quite a few players um, like Vieira and, and Will Tord and stuff um, and Petit, I think, um, you know, we're playing for France on the, on the winning side uh, that year. And so that kind of really got me into it um, leading up to going into university. Um, I, I had, you know, a mate in my class who was showing up with his arsenal scarf every day. And, <laughs> and I was like, and I, you know, and I, I was just starting to get into football and he was like, and I was like, Oh, that's, that's a, that's a football club, right? Yeah. You know, and just kind of making connections and chatting and then, you know, so he would always talk about it. Once, once I was like, gave him the attention about football, he just would always chat with me about it. And so um, I kind of fell into watching Arsenal a bit through him. And at the same time, um, my uh, like flatmates and I, we were really into playing Sega Dreamcast. And, yeah, yeah. And so I think the game that we had was like, I don't know, it was like, it was some UEFA UEFA football 2000 or something. I can't remember exactly, but essentially um, Arsenal ended up being my team when I would play this game. And, okay. And, you know, and I think also the fact that Arsenal used to have Dreamcast on their like. Oh yeah. On, she, on I forgot kit, about that. Right? Yeah. You know? And so that was like, I don't know. There just seemed to be this natural like connection through, you know, my entry into football. And of course that was like the start of the, the Wenger years and, yeah. you know, him coming in and uh, taking over as manager and, um, just being immensely successful. I mean, it was all just so attractive in the way that, you know, he managed and the way the team played. And they seemed to have these, like, absolute superstars throughout, you know, the, the, the team, whether it was, you know, David Seaman or Vieira and then Henri and, and, and guys like that. And, and Bergkamp, of course, um, you know, and just it all just sort of made sense. I was just like, I want to get behind this. And then, and then what happened, it sort of coincided with, it wasn't just me that was getting more interested. Canada as a, as a whole started becoming more interested in football and they started mm. broadcasting all the matches. So I could watch them every Saturday. And I, and basically I used to, I used to have a job where I would sell train tickets and in, okay. and in our break room every Saturday, the football would be on. And oh, so awesome. I would go and watch the matches and, you know, um, 
instead of working. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, I, got, I got really into it and a bunch of my coworkers were really into it too. And, and so um, they would, what, you know, maybe people over in the UK don't think about it as much, but um, back in the, the early 2000s, they were starting to really push football as a sport uh, for spectators over in North America. So they would invite, you know, clubs to come play uh, friendlies and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so the first like real football match I ever went to was uh, Celtic V Roma in Toronto. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah. Which was really cool. And um, yeah. And, and I, so, I mean, at that time I had, uh, I had an Arsenal shirt. That was like my thing. So like I wore an Arsenal shirt and it was the first time I ever had like a confrontation with a Tottenham supporter, (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, was giving me the finger when I, when I walked by, it was pretty funny. And uh, yeah. And, and, but anyways, it was, it was a good time and it was like really good exposure and, 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 you know, to the game. And, and then later, of course, like um, now we have the MLS in North America. Yeah. Uh, Toronto FC and you know while the quality of the football is not there at all the supporters and their excitement you know has really brought the sport um, to the forefront of the city and and, you know and we've had a a fairly successful team for some years and people are like feverish about it they love it Mm. and and, you know and thankfully because of my um, my career in music and touring the UK so much I've been able to go to loads of football matches in the UK and see Arsenal um, all over the, all over the country, really, you know? And, yeah. Well, that's, that was going to be my, my next question is have you had the, the opportunity to, to go to many matches? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the first time I ever actually saw Arsenal was um, I couldn't believe it actually took me this long, but uh, I believe it was in 20, uh, 2012. Um, it was, uh, it was at Anfield. And, oh, okay. And it was it was the it's sort of like a famous time where like uh Arsenal beat Liverpool two nil and like Abu Diaby had like a sort of a master class in midfield before his career just tanked after that. Because of <laughs> yeah. obviously all yeah, if anybody knows this guy, you know, he was um rife with injuries throughout his career. It's really sad. Yeah, yeah. But it was this real sort of shining moment uh of him in midfield and it was cool to see that and it was um, you know, I got to see uh, Lucas Podolski and Santi Cazorla score their first goals for the club at that match. Um, it was an exciting time, you know, and they they, yeah. wore, they wore these like really hideous um, uh, black and purple hoop shirts. Um, oh yeah, it goes yeah. yeah. They called them like Purple Rain or something. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was really funny. But anyways, it was it was great. And but see, the thing was is that I I have a uh, a friend whose uncle used to play for Liverpool. So he was, okay. a, he was able to get me tickets. And so um, a friend of mine, Mike from London, um, he's a Liverpool supporter. So I offered the second one to him, of course. So he was really excited. And we, we took the train up from, um, from Houston to, uh, to Liverpool and um, went to the match. But of course we're like sitting in like the cop or wherever. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so basically like I go in and, and basically like Mike stops me at the door and is like, zip up your fucking jacket right now. <laughs> like you are going to hide that Arsenal shirt and you are not going to celebrate a single goal if they score. <laughs> and of course, you know, this was, this was like, this was my like shining moment to, you know, finally see the club that I followed, yeah. you know, <laughs> and you can't even celebrate. And I can't celebrate. And that was the thing. Like when I think it was Santi scored first and, uh, 
I, I was literally on the verge of tears because I was just clenching my fists <laughs> and, and Mike's like holding my shoulder because he he knew like I was like rising to you know and uh, <laughs> and I'm like oh! and it was just it was really funny um you know it was a it was a, it was a really like good moment especially because yeah yeah you know we won and whatever but it was a lot of like mixed emotions and then eventually I got to go to um to Emirates to uh to watch them play and I think they played Reading was the first time I like went and mm. I think like Gervinho got a hat trick or something fun yeah. ridiculous <laughs> but uh yeah it, you know it and, and I've I've been able to um you know be lucky like we, we played a gig in London one time and some guy showed up and was like hey I heard you support Arsenal I was like yeah and he's like uh there's uh they're playing newcastle on saturday in newcastle here's a ticket and he just oh shit i can't go have my ticket and then i was just like okay uh wow and it was like it was during like a reading and leeds weekend and it worked out that we Mm -hmm. were playing the friday um in no, how did it work out? Yeah, it was some. It was something like that. Where basically, like, there was a day off in between, so I had to go from uh, Leeds to Newcastle, and then I had to make it back uh, for Sunday to play in Reading. In Reading. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then I went and watched them, and yeah, that was cool. Like, uh, it, you know, <laughs> at like St James, they really make the supporters like sit really high up and yeah, and yeah, really far away. But it, I mean, you know, that's the that's the thing. I was like it was so cool just seeing the different atmosphere the you know, the different clubs in different parts of the country. I've been yeah. to, um, our, our old manager, he's like a big Birmingham city supporter. Um, so, so he took me to St. Andrews and I saw them play crystal palace before. Um, I went to, uh, I went to watch Barnet actually. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And Edgar Davids was the, was the manager there. And it was like, it was, it was awesome too. Cause it's, you know, like, well, was the name of the ground there was it like underhill or something yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and uh and it's literally on a hill yeah like, like the pitch like slopes it's crazy and and it was snowing and muddy and it was like it felt like a real kind of like proper you know like just dirty low league match <laughs> it, it, was, yeah. it was cool it was really cool it was a lot of fun and uh yeah like graham stack was the the keeper and uh so that was cool too and um yeah, I've 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 been there like quite a few uh yeah. you know, around now and and been to the Emirates like many many times now which you know is a lot of fun for me uh, whenever I can. Oh cuz obviously at the moment like Arsenal's fortunes are a bit sort of mixed bag and mm. I kind of made the joke so before Christmas um the last guest I had on is was my friend Harry from the band Weather State yeah. and he's an Arsenal fan as well oh, cool. and we were kind of like at that period of time, like we were like, oh, it's all a bit sort of doom and gloom, like our Arsenal in a relegation fight. And as soon as I uploaded that episode, the next week they go and win, and now they're on this winning streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, now they're on a winning streak, exactly. Yeah. So, kind of how how do you feel about the season at the moment? How like what's your kind of hopes and expectations? I mean, I, I, I'm so scared of saying it and jinxing you know thinking that we could get anywhere close to a top four i mean i'm not i don't think we can if we can get a europa league spot i'd be happy you know i think that's kind of the most we could expect at this point maybe we Mm. win another fa cup um yeah it looks like the next two matches we might have might not be the most the most tough if um you know if we end up playing like shrewsbury or whoever it's supposed to be next and um but 
I mean, it's Arsenal and they've been known to bottle it before. So. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this, like, there's like a weird, there's a weird part of me that finds the chaos slightly exciting. Yeah. Um, only because, you know, after being with Wenger for so long, there became a bit of, you know, just sort of indifference to the like, kind of the mediocrity that was happening. Yeah, it kind yeah. of became a saturated kind of thing, didn't it? It, d- it did, yeah. And it was just sort of, you kind of, because you know how, you know Wenger's tendencies and how, how stubborn he was at, at some mm. things. So it just was, it felt flat, you know, and, and a little bit boring, um, you know, and that's obviously like a, a spoiled, you know, uh, kid who grew up watching the Invincibles and stuff like that. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's the... You know, and I, and I hate to be like that because obviously there's so many other supporters of clubs that have won nothing, uh, like Tottenham. And so, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, and I had to do that. One of my best friends is a Tottenham supporter, and I just I always have to dig it up. No, 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 it's cool. Yeah, I like but, it. But yeah, so like the, uh, you know, when I when I when I think about it, you know, I was excited when when Emery came in, um, just because of who knows how this could go, you know, and mm. and of course like with Emery when you know, it was, it was so inconsistent, um, you know, and there would be sh- like great undefeated streak in the middle of the first season was like, okay, this is happening. This could be cool. We get to Europa League final and we're like, oh, he's the master of the Europa League. Yeah, of course, yeah. this is meant to, and then of course it's like, he loses it with us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and against Chelsea too. It just, you know, and it, it really hurt and sort of left a bad taste in the mouth. And I, you know, that was too bad. And, um, you know, I, I think the weird thing about the Arteta situation is that Arteta was originally the guy that was supposed to uh, be Wenger's successor, you mm. know, and Emery came in at the, you know, the 11th hour and, and, you know, there's been a lot of shady going on, goings on with uh, the board and the, the back room at Arsenal, I think. Um, and, you know, of course the ownership's been a disaster, but, um, you know, I think a lot of the club's failings aren't entirely on, Arteta and also Emery you know they're just yeah of course they're the easiest scapegoat you know no matter what okay just sack the manager go on and on but you know when we when we watch clubs like 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 Tottenham or Chelsea or any of the other uh you know mid-table teams and stuff like a team like Newcastle it seems you know got a new manager every other year right you know it's yeah yeah it's 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 difficult to uh, all of a sudden be lumped in with that when you've had success or just kind of been in the top four for so, for so long. And, you know, so there's a part of me that's like, Oh, you know, I didn't know how good we had it under Wenger, um, you know, at points near the end, I shouldn't have, you know, taken it all for granted, but, (laughs) but at the same time, you know, I mean, it's, it's just part of life and you're going to go through cycles and, and, and now it's, it's amazing how like my attitude with the club now that we've, you know, won three or four matches in a row, I, you know, I feel like, oh yeah, we got this. We're going to like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I, all of a sudden there's this like newfound confidence and, and, you know, it's really surprising some of the players that have come in and, um, you know, been able to sort of, you know, like if you'd asked me two months ago, I would have told you like, you know, we should probably look to get rid of Lacazette. Now he's like our top scorer. Yeah. And, and, you yeah. know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's sort of strange that, you know, and, and I wouldn't have predicted Aubameyang wouldn't, would have been having such a poor season, really, in terms mm. of, you know, goals and everything. And, um, 
Yeah, but however, I'll say this: like I, the thing that's exciting for me about Arsenal right now is that they're going in and they're playing more of the kids, and yeah, and they're really um, coming good. And that's the like, you know, whether it's whether it's Bukayo Saka or now in the last few games, like Emil Smith Rowe is coming in as a mm. real number ten, and you know, actually adding creativity and and pace and forward passing, um, you know, that that we've missed um, and. You know, there's a, there's a lot of strange decisions. Of course, you know, like, you know, we can have a whole episode talking about, like, Mezzadozil, right? But, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's 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 perplexing. You know, it's like, here's a guy getting 350 grand a week and, you know, known as one of the top creative midfielders. Even if he hasn't been his best, he's still got to be, you know, uh, you know, better than some of our other options. Yeah, he still can have a role to play. He can still have a role to play, even if it's just in cup games. Like, whatever. It, it, it's just, it's just sad to see like that come to this. And it's, it's yeah, yeah. for me, if, you know. And of course, we don't know the story behind the scenes and what the real reasons are because they never talk about anything with transparency. And and you know that's a shame in itself. But I think, um, you know, I think that's sort of the the frustrating part about being an Arsenal fan when we when we see like. Uh, a guy like Willian who's come in and was like, why did we sign him in the first place? And Arteta's like, Oh no, 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 he's great. He's great. And then plays him week after week. And he's literally the biggest liability on the pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, like such a disappointment, um, you know, apart from maybe the first game against Fulham. And, and, and I think that, you know, it's really, it's really hard when everyone else can see what's, what a lot of the problems are. And of course we're not managers, you know, um, but, it's just things keep happening over and over again. And it's like, well, when he's choosing the team, it's who else are you going to blame? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And, and yeah, but however, he seems to have been trying some different stuff lately to some success. And, you know, I really hope that we're able to ship some Deadwood in January, honestly, (laughs) Um, you know, and get something, get a, get some new faces in really like, you know, we need to really uh, bolster the midfield. I think that's been a problem. Um, mm. You know, we've got an abundance of center backs that, you know, half the time don't play, or I feel like half the supporters are cringing when they do play. And, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just this, I don't know. There's, there's definitely some changes need to be made and i don't know if that's just at board level and i don't think changing the manager solves that right away unless you bring in a guy who had as much power as wenger to say i'm getting these players this is who Mm. you know and making it all work you know and i think i think that's sort of the you know you're, you're we're able to appreciate that side of wenger where he took on so many roles and really he made it work um, That's the thing. I think when Arteta got appointed, I think a lot of Arsenal fans thought he was going to be that kind of role. Like because obviously of all the history that he had at the club, yeah. Like people thought, like, oh, he's going to command the same respect that Wenger did, but it it just doesn't seem to have worked out that way. Well, I mean, you know, the difficult thing is, of course, like you know, I I actually like Ar- Arteta was one of my favorite players who's played for Arsenal in my lifetime. Actually, I, mm. you know. Um, he's one of the few players I ever had his name on a shirt. I, I loved him yeah. as a midfielder. He, in a lot of ways, I thought he rescued Arsenal. That was a really key signing. Um, but he, you know, I think there's that thing of being unproven as a manager and not having come up, you know, managing, you know, 
a championship side or something first. Yeah. Of course, coming is coming on as like uh, you know Guardiola's assistant. I mean, that's you know gives you some element of a good pedigree. He also understands the culture at the club and and how you know us as fans think and you know we know he's a quality player i mean th- this is the hard thing for me is i feel like in some matches we'd do better if arteta was player manager <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. that, that's the uh, even as old as he is or whatever but it's um it, that's the funny thing to me is just I, I want it to work but i have this natural like um discomfort about it you know i i remember when he was coming in as manager the first time supposedly before emery and a, I didn't feel good about it. I was like, I don't feel like he's ready. I don't feel mm. like he's ready. And now I'm a bit more convinced. However, it just seems to be like, I feel like he needs to get over a lot of these humps and in, in learning how to deal with the, um, you know, whether it's negative personalities, you know, and, and maybe, and that's the thing. It's like, we can only speculate, but when you talk about, you know, people like whisper rumors about, um, about like Mesut Ozil being difficult in training or something, or, you know, um, being like a, a spoiled brat with the manager yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. like, cause Wenger babied him and no one else wants to. Um, and you, and you see, and you go, okay, like he's trying to be a hard ass with Mesut Ozil, but like at what cost though, mm. you know, like would, would Ozil really make our team worse than having Willian? You know what I mean? I don't think so. Like, there's no way. Like it, I just, it's that's the that's the like the hard thing for me to like to watch and then you know there's a there's a couple of other things like like um in terms of people who got left out of the like the 25-man squad there's this defender we signed William Saliba um uh, you know French player and he was supposed to go out on loan at the start of the season but then they they blew it now he's just been sitting yeah, you know, yeah, playing for under 23s or whatever and not being happy. And now he's finally going out on loan again. But you know what I mean? It's just like there's there's so much to like question at what's going on. It makes it really easy that when things start being a bad run of, you know, losses and draws that it's really easy to jump on the back of the manager because who else are we going to talk about? You know, the, there's the, you know, the, the director is, is edu. Um, you know, of course, has Arsenal history himself, but nobody has confidence in him either, it seems. Yeah, yeah. And we keep hearing rumors about, you know, uh, when things were going bad, they're like, oh, yeah, they're going to sack Edu and looking at people to replace Arteta. And, and then he wins a couple of games and it's all good. It, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, this is football. It's the politics. It's the, it's the, you know, the corruption of the backroom business, you know, that I'm sure permeates to any club or yeah, any, yeah. you know and it just how do i say it it just seems even more prominent now that wenger's gone you know yeah definitely and well, uh, yeah well before we move on i always like to ask uh, my guests like around their team whether it's a player past or present who do you think is there a player that like springs to mind who you think kind of embodies like a punk ethos kind of thing within the arsenal world oh ian wright oh yeah yeah good yeah. shout actually yeah yeah man ian wright for sure for me just everything about him just kind of uh, you know his story sort of growing up is like uh he wasn't like an academy player uh, yeah you know and and obviously like you know first got noticed at palace and stuff like that and and came on to be 
uh, one of our top goal scorers. For me, it's a it's a real crime that he doesn't have a statue at the stadium. I think. Yeah. It, you know, to me, he's the he's such an ambassador for the club and, and you know football in general and uh, really positive um, role model. And I, I I really love how he um, takes it on himself and he's like mentoring a lot of our young players, um, mm. you know, and really trying to give them, uh, you know, bits of his wisdom and pass that on. I, I think, I think it's awesome. It just, he just seems like the most for real guy. He's himself. He's not pretending. And um, I don't know if you saw, there was this, uh, this video that a friend of mine sent me recently and it's where uh, the guys from, I think it's classic football shirts or something. They, yeah. they basically, they went on a hunt and they found his, his golden boots and, and like, I guess his, maybe it was a ball from his first hat trick or something. Okay. Basically, basically it was like football memorabilia of his and trophies that his ex-wife sold off in their divorce. Oh, shit. And, and he basically lost these mementos and she pawned them off. And yeah. And yeah. And then they like surprised him and were like, we, we bought this back for you and they like give it to him. That's incredible. Like, he's basically on the verge of tears. Like, he's just like, like my, you know, it's, it's just cool. Cause you think about, I think any football fan, if that was their life, they can imagine that kind of real feeling and just sort of, mm. I, I don't know. And I, I just, for me, like, even though I didn't grow up watching him, yeah, just, he has that kind of power and presence over me and, and still has that influence on the club now. And so I, mm. I think that's like, uh, you know, really something I, I always really love watching his, you know, his uh, commentary as a pundit and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, he just comes across as a genuine intelligent guy. And uh, yeah. 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 That, that for him. Absolutely. That that's the guy. Yeah, club for me. Bird cap. What a way to get it! He couldn't miss! And all the tension, all the fretting over the past few months as we've all counted no one more than Ian Wright himself. He is now Arsenal's all-time greatest Well, we'll move on to sort of the more kind of broader footballing conversation as to what's been kind of going on in the last sort of week or so. Um, I think a good place to start with, just because obviously you you mentioned him earlier is Edgar Davids. Yeah. Obviously taking over his, well, his second managerial role. Yeah. Uh, in Portugal. Yeah. yeah. In Portugal. But instantly, like admittedly, it kind of sounds like it wasn't his fault, but is instantly in the headlines for getting <laughs> sent off in his first game. Yeah. So I don't know, like what's your relationship with Edgar Davids? Like, well, how, I mean, how... I mean, just, you know, I know him from Tottenham, obviously. And, um and basically like uh playing for for netherlands i mean yeah just you know i think sort of like famous sort of uh you know more 90s vibe and stuff but um yeah i mean i i don't have a much of a relationship with him other than that i i watched him uh you know when i when i when i sang when i went to barnet and, and watched him yeah, play yeah. and he was the manager and it was just like whoa like the, it how do I say it? You know, going to Barnet feels kind of like a punk rock football experience. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and watching, you know, somebody like that, uh, like, you know, a, 
a world famous like high class player you know what i mean like that everybody knows and you recognize him the second you see him with his like you know like always distinctive glasses and yeah you know and the dreadlocks dreadlocks, yeah yeah. and it's yeah it's cool and i think that was the thing like watching him get like really mad at the match because i think barnett were losing and like he was like very fired up and and where we were sitting was just really close to him and Mm. and watching him like lose his shit during a match uh, you know, at the refs and all this stuff and the, or the way Barnett were playing um, was, uh, I don't know. It, it, it was, that was a, that was a cool, uh, very close up football experience I hadn't had before because, yeah, yeah. you know, all the other matches that I was sitting at, I was either sitting far away uh, for the most part. So I, you know, you couldn't hear what the players were yelling or any of that. Whereas like with Barnett, you're, you're right there, you're up close. And, mm. and so, yeah, so I think that was kind of like, exciting i you know i think sort of you know this story here um i I mean i guess nobody's surprised but i i wonder if they like had you know it makes you wonder if like the refs had it in for him where they were just waiting oh definitely that's what it kind of seems like because like he essentially was acting as peacemaker and then got himself sent off yeah he gets sent off when yeah when the player is like uh fighting with the manager of the other club right yeah 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 I mean, I, I, haven't seen, I, haven't, I haven't seen videos of it, but uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's just one of those things sometimes like those stories follow. It's kind of, I don't, you know, like, I don't know if it's like, a, you know, something like, a, I don't know if you can compare it. It's not quite the same thing, but like, a, you know, like crazy stuff's always happening to like Roy Keane or like, yeah, you know, yeah, or, yeah, or, like yeah. a ba- or like a Balotelli or something like, you know, where there's always just like, just kind of drama surrounding certain individuals. Um, yeah, I think you know? that's the thing. I think, because that's the thing. I think if this wasn't Edgar Davids, this wouldn't even be a story. Mm-hmm. But as you say, I think like maybe because who he is and maybe like the referees wanting to like make an impression because there's this former like international superstar. superstar at the, yeah. At the, Trying to like, prove that point. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, they always talk about like, um, you know, some refs love to like, they don't like the spotlight being taken away from them because they feel like (laughs) I'm in control of the match, you know, like, like guys like Mike Dean are famous for that and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know if that's this case uh, again, and having not seen it, but um, you know, reading about it, it, it's like you, you summed it up. It it wouldn't be a news article if it was anyone else basically. Yeah. But the, the other kind of touch on it as well, just, kind of relating back to what you said with him uh, like Barnett like seeing him get fired up he's obviously so pissed off he just stormed out of the stadium and didn't even do like the post-match yeah, yeah. like interviews and stuff like that so I think that kind of just sums him up in a nutshell to be but honest I, I mean I'm not gonna lie I, I love stories like this I love that oh football. yeah same I love the football drama I think that's part of what's so great about the sport you know I, yeah no definitely and I yeah. think like that's part of the reason why I wanted to kind of start this show was to talk about the more, more kind of like human element of, of the game yeah, as well, rather I, than... I appreciate that massively, yeah. And like, obviously, to kind of segue onto the other thing, like, obviously, another, a massive story that's kind of come out this week, well, the last couple of weeks has been clubs traveling to Dubai and yeah. all the ramifications of that. And one of the ones that have obviously been in the headlines, the biggest has been Celtic and almost that kind of like nonchalant attitude towards it. And like, yeah. 
I think kind of relating back to what how we how we started this conversation, obviously like the precautions you're taking as a band, like not being able to see each other and all this sort of thing. When you kind of see these stories, does it piss you off that like these multimillionaires are like just rubbing it in people's faces essentially? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm so on the fence with it because you know, it. I think this is the difficult thing with like uh, the pandemic because in a lot of people's experiences, um, you know, uh, how do I say this the right way? That there's there's lots of people that aren't directly affected by mm. the deadly side of the virus, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, no, like, no, no, no. Like I, I like I still don't I don't know anyone who's died of it. And the only people I know who have had the virus are all in the UK, which is strange. Um, I'm surprised at that and and here's the thing I I think it's like um, and that's not negating the seriousness or that it's not real I'm not trying to I just just want to make that clear in case anyone ever jumps to conclusions Um, but uh, I think what I'm trying when I when I think about the the football world is that we've also said hey you know all the social distancing rules relics you know we've all agreed to follow you know, to protect everyone else. Well, that doesn't matter for sport, mm. you know? And so they exist in this world where those rules don't really apply the same way. And, and I, yeah. I, I think there's this like, how do I, you know, um, inherent, I, I, I don't know if it's just, there's, in the fact that we all watch football and allow these people to just, you know, have close contact and whatever, it sort of negates the, the narrative of how, serious you know the world is treating the pandemic in general like, yeah yeah I, yeah you know and i'll say this like I'm, I'm just as guilty of it i mean i support it by watching you know the matches every weekend you know i i it's great entertainment for all of us of course you know mm. i mean um so i'll say this like there's part of me that's not surprised when players are like oh yeah we're gonna go to dubai like i mean we had it happen at arsenal like willie went and just took a trip to dubai and then came yeah. back and everyone was like, what the hell? Like, what do you mean you, you did this? <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, you know, the, like the weird thing about that, that whole thing, and this is kind of how I relate to the Celtic thing is, um, you know, like he went there and it was supposedly a, a, a business meeting. He wasn't going there to relax on the beach or, you know, enjoy, yeah. enjoy a, a weekend of luxury or whatever it was. Um, you know, he was like, oh, no, I had to go sort out contracts over my image rights or something ridiculous that obviously could have been done over online. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You know, and um, the, I think the sad thing, uh, you know, and I guess I, I should have brought this up with talking about Arteta. This is one of the more disappointing things is that, you know, Arteta has preached, you know, um, how responsible he expects his players to be and how dedicated and committed, especially in training but how they also represent the club. And if you're, if you're not on board with the culture and, you know, uh, what we're trying to instill around the club, if I see you not, you know, giving respect the same way, you're just not going to play. Well, William goes away to Dubai, comes back, tests negative. Um, and then he's like back on the pitch, like he didn't do anything. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I, I think it's like, it's really hard to go, well, wait, why, you, you said you're going to punish people for not, you know, being part of the team and 
you know, if you're acting out of line, you know, they're going to, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make the starting 11. They're not going to make the bench. And it's like, well, but then you just didn't do that, you know? And it's, yeah. And I, and I think that's the, like the conflicting thing that, uh, you know, makes me feel uneasy and maybe has like a distrust for that. And, and you know what I mean? And I see when Arteta allows that to happen without, uh, you know, it allows it to happen with impunity. It's that, you know, when you watch something like, like Celtic and they're going to Dubai to have, you know, a team bonding training week and it just, it doesn't make sense. Like it's what's, what are you going to gain from just going to Dubai? Well, just cause the weather's nicer. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. I get that it's cold in Scotland. Like we all know that, but I mean, you also, I mean, that's also your home turf. So you shouldn't be, yeah, like, yeah. you know, I mean, hell we've got Kieran Tierney who's like, you know, playing in short sleeves and, uh, you know, making a big thing about how he's never cold. You know, it's this whole like, <laughs> running joke and, yeah. and, and, and it's awesome. And, and like, you know, as fans, we get excited, excited by that. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, here's this, you know, this, this, this hard man. And, you know, he's like going for it. Cause he's just, you know, bold Scottish player. And it's like, well, I guess maybe the rest of his club wasn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is that why you left? You know, I don't know, but I mean, yeah, it, it, there, it does leave a bad taste in your mouth. I, I mean, you know, there's the other argument that you can have where, well, if they, if they came back and, you know, didn't get, uh, you know, did any of them catch the, the, the virus? So I think, yeah, I think yeah, some of them did. Yeah. Cause yeah. well, I know like a handful of them had to go like self-isolate and stuff. Okay. And yeah. I think two of them test actually tested positive. So there, so. So, so, so there you go. So they like, I mean, it was absolutely reckless as a result of that. You know what I mean? You know, cause that, that was Williams sort of thing. Like, well, I didn't get, I'm, I'm fine. I didn't catch anything. I didn't expose myself to whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but now they've just sort of proved the point that traveling is dangerous and reckless, Yeah. you know, in that regard. And, and, and I mean, and who did that help going, what, what did that help going to Dubai? And then I guess they lost their, their next match anyway, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, th I think they scraped like a draw or something. Or a draw, like that, okay, but... it was a draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but like you know, they're not top of the table. It's like, yeah, but like kind of going back to what you were saying in terms of like the kind of spectator aspect of it. Like, obviously, something that's come out today is the whole kind of like players celebrating goals and and stuff like that, and like like players hugging and stuff. And it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's the kind of like. Okay, but at the time, same time, like it is that double-edged sword of like, well, as a spectator, we want you to entertain us, so go go put yourself at risk each week on the pitch, yeah, for our entertainment. But don't 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 touch each other, sort of thing. It's like, well, I, I mean, is... you, I, I guess this is this comes to the uh, you know sort of the other uh, moral dilemma of of something like a pandemic, you know. Are there, you know, I guess the, the, the question that I'm coming to is, because I think about those same things every time I watch them hug and, you know, after match, they're whispering in their uh, teammates, yeah, yeah. About, you know, uh, something, something. And you're like, obviously, that's not social distancing. Like, and you're seeing managers more and more shaking hands as opposed to like bumping elbows or whatever, yeah. you know, like those kinds of things. And it's, um, you know, and obviously people aren't wearing masks and all that stuff. And it's like, there is that it's like why is it okay in this context but the rest of the country like i'm not allowed to work you know my job um you know 
at a bakery or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, because but the football continues. Like it, it feels like you know very. Uh, I don't know if it's hypocritical or uh, there's just unfair or whatever those things. You know, because people are suffering in different ways. Um, you know, and it, it, it's it's really tough. You know, um, and I think like uh, sorry. What I what I wanted to say before about sort of like this this sort of moral dilemma is like are there are there players that are saying I'm being forced to play against my will in regards to safety? I, I like, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know if that exists, but it, yeah, seems, yeah, it yeah. seems like they're all excited to play and continue working. Right. And, and in that, and that's the side of things that like, you know, when people are like, you know, especially sympathize with, you know, entrepreneurs who, who are like, I'm saying are like, you know, losing their livelihood because of mm. lockdowns and stuff like that. And they go, well, this player is, you know, able to choose to go ahead and play, but I can't run my, my business. It's not my choice. Like I'm being told yeah, I yeah. don't have a choice, but this guy can because he's a footballer and he's making everybody millions of pounds, Yeah, you know, or billions. I mean, like, the you know, only... Collectively, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's, a, it, that's like the, it's a hard thing for some people to sit with. Uh, yeah. The only kind of situation of that that kind of springs to mind. So I'm a, I'm a Portsmouth fan. Oh yeah. Okay. And one of our players, uh, Jack Watmore, literally, I think it was like, as the pandemic was breaking, him and his partner had, had a child. Yeah. So like when everything like locked down and then when things started to ease and players started to go back to training, he basically was like, no, I'm I'm not coming back because I have a small child. But then as like the seasons like kicked off again, he was back training. But that's yeah, that's the only situation I know where a player has actively said like, no, I don't want to do this kind of thing. Yeah. So th there probably are more out there, but that's yeah, that's the only one that I know of. Oh, for, well, for sure. And and I think like um, maybe a little bit back to the Mesodozal thing there. I remember like, I don't know if you heard that there was a big thing about um, the club uh, at Arsenal asked the players to take a wage cut. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, and then we won't, you know, so that our staff uh, won't lose their jobs um, because, you know, of the closed stadiums. Um, and then they, all this staff lost their jobs anyway. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I think, I think like, uh, and I think that is part of, some of the drama behind Mesut Ozil is he was really like um, really adamant about those people keeping their jobs. Well, he, he did the Gunnosaurus thing, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and it seems to have blown up in his face. And even though I, I feel like if the, if those stories are true and everything is, you know, as plain as it's spelled out, I mean, you, you would sympathize with his good intentions, you know, mm. and, uh, and keeping those people in work and, um, you know, and paid and everything. Uh, yeah, it's it's really tough, especially because, you know, we, we look at all the money these guys make and then if they're being careless just as a result of their privileges, sports entertainers and athletes, um, you know, it it just, yeah, like why, why do they get to choose to do this, but I can't choose to, uh, you know, risk to support my family or something, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, again, it's just... You know, I'm not saying what's right one way or the other. I just, 
I don't, I'm not surprised when people question these kinds of things. And I think they're rightly brought up in, 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 uh, in the news to say like, well, I mean, why should they be going to Dubai? What, what's that? What's the, what's the like actual benefit of this? Yeah. 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 Did they ever come? What did, what did they come out and say? Like just, what was the official statement of the club? Like, I can't remember now off the top of my head. I did have it up, but it was, yeah, it was basically like, because they, they this the the trip to Dubai they do it like every year yeah so they they it was basically on the lines of like this is an annual thing we do so like why is it why are you now making a big deal of it and everyone's like because there's a pandemic <laughs> yeah and and oh, that's it so it's this guy I'm finding it here Christopher Julian tested positive for COVID nineteen yeah yeah I uh, just the statement Monday suggested. Yeah, and, and so I guess yeah. the, the whole argument is that the players being in a team together, they're all close contacts, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, uh, I mean, that, but at the same time, you have to imagine, like, that's a very large bubble of people Yeah. to be associated with, because obviously, home with their families too, right? So it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, I think it, it's really hard for a lot of people uh to watch that happen. I mean, we're, I, I don't know if you guys are having the same thing in the UK, but in, in Canada over the holidays, we had uh, loads of politicians going off on trips to like Hawaii and St. Bart's and, Oh no, and, no. We, and yeah. They were, they were all caught like giving um, Christmas messages in front of fake zoom backgrounds. Telling, oh shit. Telling people to like stay home and follow the rules and all this stuff. And, and then it's like, Oh, the finance minister, uh, he he pre-recorded this like two weeks before oh, his, Christmas, his Christmas holiday to the Caribbean, and, and yeah, and so like all these people are losing their jobs, and and I mean you know I can understand why people are mad because they're saying well yeah, like, yeah oh like you get to make these rules and don't follow them that's that's cool this yeah is, and, and and then and then that's when you get people who are just question the seriousness of the whole thing and it's like why are we being treated this way. Um, if if you're the people making the rules and then you don't follow them yeah no definitely are, are you manipulating us and that's like that, that's when the the conspiracy theories start floating around you know and it's <laughs> yeah it causes problems um and yeah i mean that's the that's it's it's tough isn't it it's just yeah you know but yeah but um one sort of like final thing that i wanted to touch upon just because i think this is a interesting sort of system they've got and like business plan and you kind of mentioned sort of man city earlier and yeah. this is their kind of subsidiary company that they have um like the city football group yeah where they've obviously like like their owners or whatever plowed money into other teams and they've now invested in a bolivian team which wow like is just yeah it's like i think it's really interesting because like so far they've got like stakes in um like new york city um melbourne i think they've just acquired like mumbai city as well girona from spain yeah yeah so it's like it's a it's obviously the way that football's going because like we see like red bull do a similar thing like obviously they've got leipzig salzburg Yeah. yeah yeah um and a couple of others so I don't know, like, what's your kind of view on, yeah, on yeah, this they kind have of football? New York Red Bulls as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your kind of view on this, like, business sort of strategy towards football? 
I mean, there's a side of it that's like, oh, you know, football community that seems innocent. However, I feel like the corporate side of it just, it feels like, um, it kind of feels like they're opening Starbucks across the world for football, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's like City Bucks. And, uh, it, you know, is it is it just like, is it, I, I, how do I say this? Like, there's there's examples in the music industry of, of monopolies that were existing and they were yeah. for, they were forcing companies to break themselves up and just oh okay well now we have a live division of touring and it's called this and our radio division's called that and our record labels called this and because they can't control everything from one office however i i don't know i mean it just it feels a little weird I, I, yeah. I, like, I'll say this, like, watching City fans, I see them kind of going, oh, yeah, I'll support New York City FC. Like, yeah, like that, that seems like something I'm going to get behind. I don't know if there's the same affinity when it comes to Red Bull, uh, you yeah. know, amongst like Salzburg, Leipzig, and New York Red Bull supporters. I mean, maybe, but um, yeah, like, you know, like I always wondered, I'm like, do uh, do Celtic supporters also really, uh, you know, fancy themselves like Panathinaikos supporters because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they have a similar kid and, and, a, and a clover and it's, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, um, it's just, uh, I mean, it, I just see if it is more like uh control over the football world and i don't know if consolidating that is a is a good thing potentially potentially for you know when i look at um you know things that i've read uh you know throughout uh you know the course of like football uh history and stuff um sorry not even history but just over the last few years of um you know talking about okay like uh you know, reading articles being like, oh, like India's like um, upcoming football talent is a sleeping giant to be yeah, unleashed yeah. upon, you know, like the world. And it's like, okay, well, is is this, you know, like city going and saying, okay, we're buying Mumbai specifically for this reason because we're going to find the next major talent and then upstream them directly to Manchester City. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, I guess you know, if I think about North American sports, there's always been this, um, uh, like, I don't know if you've heard of like farm teams. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so like yeah. major league baseball in one city will essentially kind of own a, a lower league team. Yeah. They're like feeder the, clubs. Kind exa- of thing. Yeah. And so yeah. I, this feels a lot like that to me. However, I'll say this, the, like the, the money that like, uh, how do I say this? Like the, the the reason why I kind of fell in love with football is because it was so different than uh, major league sports in North America. Right. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, I I'll say this and this comes sort of like from my like distaste of like how hockey uh, has been specifically. I mean, it, it goes for every major sport in North America really, but but hockey specifically, I can give you a good example. So like, um, like uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, like, um, mm. you know, team I grew up liking, whatever. They're essentially like, uh, in some ways, they're like the Tottenham of hockey. 
they they, right. ha- they haven't won they haven't won the Stanley Cup since 1967. Okay. Right. And so essentially they've been shit my whole life. <laughs> they've they've yeah. not won anything. They've had some like, you know, a couple of good seasons here and there. Yet people relentlessly support them and they're the richest club in the sport. Right. Okay. Like and there's no drawback or uh incentive for them to actually be good because regardless every game sells out and everybody watches them and supports them no matter what i, I don't like that because in, i love that teams get relegated and promoted in football that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was really exciting for me once i learned that i was like oh wow like they have to be good and of course yeah. obviously there's you know we have like a you, you know like an unofficial top six big clubs in in the Premier League or something that you know just you always talk about because they're the biggest and richest or whatever and most successful um, you know that will always be in the Premier League you probably never see them get relegated or something however there's that distinct like actual possibility you know like literally yeah yeah, yeah. I, I faced it this year as an Arsenal fan like we could be relegated and you know and that can be a really slippery slope you know like obviously like um, uh, you know, club like Leeds, um, yeah. you know, has had to deal with that. I mean, you've experienced it as a Portsmouth. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you guys weren't like top of the league uh, anytime recently, but you know what I mean? Like at one point, Lee, Leeds United was like looking to be a dynasty, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, you know, th- but that side of things, that drama, that expectation that you have to deliver on the playing the success on the playing side of the the club um you know really uh interests me as a fan and now if when i see things like city just sort of setting things up to like a very sort of north american standard in that Mm -hmm. way of just oh this club is just we're just gonna like we don't care about how these other clubs do as long as they give us their best player. And, and I mean, we haven't, <laughs> yeah. we haven't seen that happen, but I imagine that that's what... That's kind of the end goal. Kind that's of the end yeah, goal. Yeah. It's just to, like, to find like, you know, markets around the world that could feed us their local talent. I mean, you know, for better or for worse, it, you know, again, if, the, if this does help, you know, uh, players from Mumbai, let's say, or, you know, or, you know, Girona or whatever, like wherever mm. these kids grow up, and if they end up playing for City, all, all the better, right? But that's what I was going to say. Like the the plus side is that, like specifically, like the the new club they've purchased, this Bolivian club. Yeah. Like for them to get, because essentially the the model is all of these clubs will have the same essential training facilities that Man City have. Yeah. And you think like 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 Mumbai may be a bit different because there is money in that city, but like this this team in Bolivia, like they would have never have had that otherwise. So that is the plus side of it. But yeah, it's that kind of like, it's like dirty money kind of feel. Well, and and I think it's just sort of, however, like I'll say this, like as a football fan, I like to believe, um, you know, in with, with and embrace my naivety about that. Like, how do I say it? Like that, that sort of classic arsenal, like motto is like we don't buy legends we make them yeah yeah yeah. you know in in the way that like just you know city coming in and 
with with big money and then just buying all the most expensive players and like forming a successful club literally from that which we've watched yeah which we watched them do and chelsea previously before that and uh you know and now that it seems like like abramovich you know for chelsea isn't like funneling the money in that he used to you can tell you know (laughs) but but this is the thing is that I, i only just worry is that is like is every city club just going to be top of the league uh, in their yeah, respective yeah, leagues yeah. just because now they've got that money pool to to make it happen and, uh, you know, uh, wh- whatever. We'll see what happens. It, it, could, it could be – let's say this. Us musing and complaining about it isn't going to stop it from happening either. Mm. Very, very true. <laughs> you know? But, I mean, even that team in uh, Bolivia, like it sounds like they've been, like uh, – hugely successful anyway yeah yeah they've like won their league like 29 times or something like yeah, that okay so. so they're yeah so they're like and it looks like they already have city colors oh really <laughs> sorry yeah yeah at least uh I, I pulled up an article here and it looks like like yeah oh yeah their stadium's like blue blue and white so yeah yeah in the same in the same hue of blue yeah yeah so so anyways wait, so maybe it's just a good fit that way <laughs> Perfect. Maybe Celtic will buy Panathinaikos after all. There you go. is not allowing Rexon the ball to take the free kick. It all got a little unnecessary. Stephen Wright was grounded. Nankadavid still has the ball. Stephen Wright is certainly getting called over from Rexon's point of view. It's a red card for Stephen Wright. And I think Edgar Davids is going to receive the same here. He is. It's a double sending right. off. Right, so uh, Scott, how I always like to end this is to ask my guests to literally bring punks onto the pitch and make their fantasy 11 of artists, musicians or whatever. Yeah. So have you got a formation that you want to start off with? <laughs> yeah, well... Uh... The formation, see, I, I came up with a list of names that I've been thinking about. Um, and it's sort of cut into like uh, two. There's there's like musicians that I don't really know that I know that are into football. And then there's musicians that I do know that are personally that yeah. are also into football. Um, okay. So, so like, you know, I definitely wanted to start off with like, like Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Um, yeah. Like, famous West Ham supporter. Um, and uh, I was thinking that he could probably be the keeper. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel like he would be good. I feel like um, Barney Greenway, the singer of Napalm Death. Yeah. Uh, I-, I know he supports Villa and um, I feel like he would be a good center back. Um, and then I would see, I'd, I'd put Barney as a midfielder cause he just runs for fucking days. Actually, you have a good point. Yeah. But see, <laughs> I guess because I'm thinking of like, a, maybe it's like, uh, I don't know. I just keep thinking of him, like having similar hair to like Tony Adams at, at one point <laughs> or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe that's where I'm like going for it. But yeah, like, I mean, you know, like th- there's that. And then I was thinking that like, um, like i was i was trying to i was trying to see like like another center back to pair him with and just kind of like um a bit more of like the 
how do I say this? And the guy that would sort of like really get the team going would be yeah. like Benji from Skindred. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good show. I, 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 I've talked to him before. I think he supports Swansea. I could be off. I know he's from Newport, but um, maybe sports Cardiff. But I, 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 I just – he's an awesome dude. I love that guy. And if there's, like, anyone to, like, get a team to, like – you know, like you know how you get you got those guys on the pitch just yell at their team. He, he's like your hype guy. Your hype he? guy, yeah. And I feel like him going with the crowd would just be like you couldn't lose with him on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, I think he would be awesome. I was thinking for um, for a left back, I would I would take uh, Dan Olds, the drummer from the band Palm Reader. He's yeah, a, he's he's a good friend of mine, and he's uh, he sports Bournemouth. And uh, I feel like he would be good. Um, I was thinking uh, Igor, Igor Cavalera from Sepultura, uh, Cavalera Conspiracy. He's the drummer. Yeah. Um, he's a longtime uh, Arsenal supporter as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think like, I want to give that to him as a kid. I watched him wear some Arsenal shirts too. And I was like, oh, Sepultura is one of my favorite bands. I like, I, I like that you're like also into football but like not, <laughs> yeah. not just like something brazilian you know what i mean like and that's the other yeah, side yeah, yeah. that's the other side too you know he's brazilian so he's got to be he's least, got a bit of flair to him yeah, yeah exactly he's got to <laughs> be like somewhat good at, you know so I, i'd throw him at right back i was saying i was thinking like um so uh lee barrett from gallows another drummer yeah uh he's a big spurs supporter so we always like jab at each other but i feel like he kind of reminds me of like a like a modric uh yeah 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 and so like i that's that's where i would kind of put him um and then sort of like as um winger i would put like um like matt from the basis from uh bring me the horizon um okay he's he's a big city supporter and um he uh i feel like would be a really good right winger and then on the other side, uh, my buddy Martin from uh, Orange Goblin, uh, he's a big QPR supporter. And I, I feel like him on the left would be good. And, and then I would put uh, Ben from the singer of Orange Goblin. I put him as sh- striker just because he's the tallest man ever. So he'd be like, our, he'd, <laughs> yeah, he'd be your target man. Yeah, he'd be our target man. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he can run really fast, but I feel like. <laughs> I feel like just no, that's the thing. You just just, just lob the ball up to him. Just lob the ball. Yeah, exactly. He can be like the uh, the Andy Carroll, you know. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, Scott, and then thanks. I guess I had one more. Um, I my buddy Ian Perkins, uh, who plays in Gaslight Anthem. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, uh, yeah, I, I guess he would be one of the other midfielders. Yeah, that's the only one. I think I got everyone else on my list there. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Oh Perfect. no no no! I miss I'm missing one more. No, that's only ten. I uh, I put down uh, Stevis uh, from Fever three three three. He uh, he's like one of the like the craziest, uh, most like energetic musicians I've ever seen on stage. Yeah yeah yeah. And so I feel like he would just like be like like a maniac midfielder. I I just feel <laughs> like he would be he'd be kind of like that sort of like false nine. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Brilliant. Scott, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks it. for having me on, Tim. It's been fun, man. Um hopefully we get to see Canspats over here again 
very very soon. Because... I hope so. I hope so. If things aren't looking good for this year already, that's the no. that's the that's but, the tough one. But I mean, if it can happen, you know, we'll be there. We uh... yeah. I mean, obviously, you guys know you're absolutely adored over here, so we can't wait to have you back. Yeah, I can't wait to be back. Perfect, Scott. Thank you very much for your time, mate. Take no care. Problem. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Cheers. Bye. Bye.